Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. This is Observations. Thanks for joining me once again. Uh, love talking with you guys. Love living in the world of comic books and movies and film and all of pop culture. Today, I am going to take you on one of the craziest uh, days of my life. Uh, a ride that was uh, so spectacularly resonant. I still, I can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. It is uh, 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 a ride that I had heard about, I had I'd read about, I had, I, I, had, I had heard stories from other people, but I had never actually had it happen to me. It is, uh, it is an incredible, uh, fun day. We're gonna, we're gonna peel you behind the scenes once again. It's, it, it concerns a property of mine uh, that I had spoken of in earlier podcasts with you guys uh, called the Mark. I get a lot of questions about this. This got a lot of pub uh, publicity, press. Uh, both both kind of Hollywood mainstream press as well as comic book press, uh, going back as far as as nineteen early nineteen ninety three when it was announced or late nineteen ninety two, and uh, it was uh, when I first sold it to Mister Tom Cruise and I I again have gone through that in one of my podcasts and how we uh, Tom uh, purchased this uh, treatment from me based on a uh, upcoming superhero comic book idea that I had we went down the road with Tom for many years. And where that brings us to is uh, what you're going to experience. We're going to, uh, I'm going to walk you through Halloween day, Halloween day, not Halloween night, very bright and early Halloween day of 1997. Uh, that is when this crazy ride will start. And, and the particulars of that day is crazy. And it's really about, uh, when you have a screenplay, a, a a comic book creator, and the biggest star in Hollywood, how that all, and the biggest agency in Hollywood, uh, shepherding you through one of these giant, um, what do you call it? One of these giant, uh, big big packaging deals. Packaging deals. It was a it was a package. Uh, Will Smith uh, was the you know ridiculously amazing, um, awesome, you know, superstar of, of, of the hour. And, and this was the beginning of his almost decade long run of, of dominance. And he had, uh, met with me because the rights of the mark were coming up for a third option renewal. This one was at my disposal. The first option renewal was at, uh, Tom Cruise's production company and Paramount Studios, who it was with, it was at their, um, you know, it, it, it's like an athlete, and it was it was their call to renew me or to resign me. But on the third option, I got to decide if I wanted to go forward or not. I had received a call in the um, middle of 1997 after having read two uh, screenplays that Tom Cruise and Paramount uh, had had commissioned from uh, writers William Wisher who uh, wrote Terminator 2, T2, with James Cameron, and uh, Nick Sagan, the son of Carl Sagan. Uh, so there's some serious science fiction and science background there, and Nick is a sweet guy. And, uh, and, and both he and William gave it their absolute best, but it was very weighed down in studio, no, not just studio notes, Tom Cruise and his production partner, Paula Wagner, in their notes. Uh, there, uh, they they had a very specific um, I, uh, vision of the film that they wanted that wasn't quite 
what I had sold. And this is literally when you see on Entourage or some of these uh, uh, Hollywood kind of spoof uh, uh, productions, whether it's a TV show or a movie, and you see where you sell them one thing and they've rejiggered it into something else because uh, it suits the fancy of what they think they want at that time. I lived it. It was the initial uh, selling of the mark as a pitch, uh, treatment, future comic book. And uh, case in point, this is the easiest way I can tell you, that the recipient of the mark, uh, which I'm going to expand upon as we go through this. Again, you are going to walk through me on this day where the biggest agency in Hollywood uh, paired the biggest star in Hollywood with um, their uh, prolific comic book uh, uh, you know, talent uh, that they represented and sent us on our way to four different studio chiefs in search of uh, the the perfect deal that would suit all all involved. And 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 this was a Saturday affair, the 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 morning through mid afternoon of Halloween 1997. It was very exciting, but to get there again, I had to get the rights to the mark back, which I had done because uh, when I sold the mark, it, it, the, the essence of the mark, and, and you'll see because right before I got on here, I wanted to Google and see what remnants of this uh, w remained after, uh, you know, were out there after after 20 plus years, 25 years. Um, and, and ironically, I, I even saw articles as recent as 2004 uh, talking about the, the plans that Will and his production company had for the mark. Uh, but prior to that, uh, when I sold it to Tom Cruise, the entire idea was what if a normal guy, a normal everyday guy, uh, a little bit over, in over his head in both uh, screenplays, uh, the, the characters played by, by uh, Tom Cruise and, and Will Smith uh, in their respective visions was had a gambling problem. It had a, uh, had a bit of a gambling issue, uh, always... Uh, wagering whatever extra money they had on you know everything from lotto tickets to the racetrack so that was the kind of background for the character and then one day he walks into a situation he is ill-prepared to navigate where a elderly gentleman is um, being assaulted by dark forces and this elderly gentleman more than holds his own uh, as he is hovering in the sky it's it's very I, I very Doctor Strange, very, you know, I guess, or or you could say Jedi Knights, except they were throwing like, you know, supernatural spells and blasts at each other. So really, I, I was thinking more along the lines of a Doctor Strange. Um, because of the the character of, of, of both Will and Tom's character, they stumble into this, distracting the old man, putting, now the old man is more worried about saving their life then defending his own, and and in in the melee, the old man is given a fatal blow before the bad guys can reach him. The old man passes, she grabs our Will and Tom's hands, and uh, 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 put places what's on the palm of his hand. It 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 now goes to the palm of their hand, and un, unbeknowingly terrified with fear of these bad guys approaching them, in in both instances. Uh, Will and Tom sprint home at a speed greater than any they could have done or carried before. The, the power is instantaneous, and they are even shocked. Uh, the, 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 they have a locked door. Uh, the, the, the landlord has locked them out because, as we learn in the opening minutes, you know he's got one more day to pay on his renter. He's being evicted. 
And so, but in his uh, in his panic, he he literally snaps the lock. He's, it's a, it's dark. He doesn't even notice the lock. He opens the door with such force that the lock is broken. Goes inside. He's terrified. This starts our 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 character on this path, where he is learning of the amazing powers, almost of a god that he's been given. And and over the course of this journey, you will meet all of the players. Uh, the disciples who who always were training someone to to um, receive this mark from our elderly man, as well as the dark forces who have been changing it, chasing it since biblical times. So this 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 definitely um, uh, ha- has ties into into like ancient biblical times. So when Tom had it, he decided that, and I'm telling you, I was there. Um, the only successful superhero movie uh, of of that time, and at that time we had you know two sequels. By '96 we'd had three se- you know three movies total. But the Batman movies were the only comic book Hollywood movies that were really you know performing at a giant you know level. And I think those were the only movies that anyone in the business was paying attention to because they, there was no. There was no X-Men movie, there was no Justice League movie, there was no Spider-Man movie, all that stuff. Remember, I I had brought been brought in to meet Tom Cruise on the basis that he was told by James Cameron that he was too old to play Spider-Man because Cameron had the rights and was going to make Spider-Man. And so Peter Parker was not in Tom Cruise's future. Enter Rob Liefeld and my um, burgeoning, you know, giant, uh, uh, exploding comic book career and we can make this connection and we, we start down this path. But early on in the development, uh, Tom informs myself in the screenwriter that he wants a utility belt and uh tom uh creates himself uh, in tom's version he became a uh toy maker uh he had a job at like a mattel or a hasbro where he was making toys and this kind of gave him the 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 background that he would create all of these toys and one day i i summoned the courage on the second day of meeting with william wisher the screenwriter i summoned the courage there in 1993 to say to Tom, I'm sorry, I'm just not connecting where a guy who has powers of a god needs a utility belt. I may have said needs Batman's utility belt. I had courage back then, okay? (laughs) I I had the courage of millions and millions and millions of comic book sales and all of the success that that brought, that I I felt like I could muster enough strength within my voice and stand up and say, why does this character need Batman's super, you know, you know, Batman's utility belt. Why does a guy who is as powerful, even more so in this, by the end, of, than, than a Superman? And Tom looked at me casually, as he, uh, I'm sure, had done so many times with that fabulous movie star visage, persona, uh, charisma, and said, why not? And why not got me? Why not was the, uh, was the, 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 the blow that felled me in the room uh, when Tom Cruise looks at you with that furrowed brow and those beautiful, beautiful eyes and that gritted teeth and says, why not? And he was sitting in the largest of all of the leather chairs in the giant uh, meeting room in the Lucille Ball building uh, on Paramount. So at that, po- that point, my courage, uh, which had gotten me far enough to ask the question, kind of, I went back into my snail shell and uh, why not uh, kind of was really meant as, you're not going to really challenge me right here, are you? I'm Tom Cruise. And I was like, I'm not going to challenge you. I am Rob Liefeld. I, I, my, my courage to ask the question is as far as the courage was going to take me that day. And we continued on. And indeed, the screenplay uh, did have uh, him fashioning a 
a utility belt with all sorts of gadgets. Now, here's the deal. We all know what happened. Tom would eventually take over the Mission Impossible franchise, and I think all the gadgets and stunts and everything that he um, wanted to harness was available to him in that franchise, which has gone on to be his single biggest franchise, one of the greatest franchises, my favorite franchise, action franchise. Um, yeah, those Bond, uh, those Mission Impossible films with the uh, Brad Bird fourth um, film, Ghost Protocol, jumped beyond my uh, love of James Bond films, and 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 especially now with Christopher McQuarrie on board, I think they are just phenomenal. And again, I, I see I see now what Tom was striving for. Then he wanted something more relatable, the powers of the God stuff. I think they just wanted a comic book movie. I think they I, I fit the profile. CAA gave me the recommendation. I won Tom over in a meeting, and this is how we uh, uh, progressed. The, 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 the best part of the mark to me was the villain. I had invested a ton, maybe the greatest villain um, I had ever kind of conceived of. The background, the journey, uh, the, 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 the pursuit of the mark, as well as his motivations, I thought made him just a spectacular bad guy. Now, also, the, the idea of who the bad guy uh, would be, and, and unfortunately, obviously, this, this was not possible years ago, but it is most certainly not possible now with the man, this man's passing. But if you um, were paying attention to Tom's career in this, what I call his second phase, the, 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 the first phase kind of ends with Days of Thunder. You had, you had, you had Top Gun, you, know, you, had, uh, you had The Color of Money, and then you had Days of Thunder. Uh, that, that was kind of the end of it. Uh, Top Gun was the apex of, of the first you know, uh, period, the, the, the height that he could carry you. And then, and, and Rain Man, you know, that right, right around there. Days of Thunder was kind of like Top Gun on, on wheels in a racetrack. And, uh, and that movie kind of underperformed. And then the year after, far and away, really underperformed. And he was in a bit of a crisis mode. When I met him, the, the, the team was very, um, excited that, uh, Tom had just wrapped a few good men. And, and they felt that that was going to be a giant blockbuster. And of course it was going to be a giant blockbuster. I mean, you, we saw it. It was fantastic. And uh, obviously very strong material. Um, and, and with him going up against Jack Nicholson was the perfect formula. And Tom rode that back to glorious success. Right on the heels of that, six months later, he was coming out with The Firm. The biggest uh, novel of the last, it's, it seemed like, decade prior was this riveting Grisham uh, lawyer novel, and I think everybody was excited about him portraying uh, the lead in, in in the firm. And so, so he had um, I had visited. I had been flown out to the set of the firm while we were developing the mark. Uh, I, I I flew to um, uh, New Orleans, and I flew to uh, I think Louisiana a couple times to to visit with Tom and his trailer on the set. And 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 again, I would be flown home that that same day. We, we, by this time, we have engaged a screenwriter now uh, full, full-time by the spring of 1993, and that's, of course, up, up to bat first is William Wisher. Tom wanted the Terminator uh, 2 uh, screenwriter. Obviously, he was dancing with Cameron on, on a Spider-Man movie, so William Wisher was just a wonderful, sweet, uh, just brilliant man. I loved interacting with him, but he had constraints on him based on what Tom wanted out of this film. Now, the, the thing that you have to realize when I'm, when I'm saying the second phase is kicked off in Tom's career by A Few Good Men, because uh, this is really the point, is 
Tom started going up against the greatest of Hollywood's legends, legendary talents, actors of the age before him. He fells, you know, uh, spells, goes against Jack Nicholson, okay, in A Few Good Men, takes him down. Um, in 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 uh, the firm, it's Gene Hackman, okay? Gene Hackman, I mean, I mean, between Jack Nicholson and Gene Hackman, you've already got two massive, gigantic pillars that he takes down. They are his nemesis. He bests them. And really, what he's doing is he's besting my mom and dad's Hollywood era, where where Jack Nicholson and and Gene Hackman were were just ruled the roost. And my and my wife's uh, my, my wife's dad, uh, my my father in law is is one of the biggest Gene Hackman fans. So again, you know this this these were their stars. Then with Mission Impossible number one, who's he taking down? The champ, John Voight. A lot of you people know John Voight as Angelina Jolie's dad. Well, he was a monster, monster superstar uh, acting talent, uh, you know, um, um, from the seventies. And and the Champ was his apex role with Ricky Schroeder and uh, oh my gosh, John Voight obviously in a gazillion movies prior to that. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Uh, I mean, just just so so many huge winning roles. So 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 right there in a, in, in a row, it's all of your '70s heroes: Gene Hackman, uh, John Voight, uh, you know, um, um, uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Okay, so I mean, we we have we have got a trio, and so I'm beginning to pick up this this idea that that Tom is purposely going up against. The greatness of, of of a previous Hollywood and 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 getting the biggest kick out of besting them, and so so what what follows, um, it, again if you are really invested in the in the Tom Cruise you know train, eventually he he opposes he's not he's not the bad guy but he definitely opposes Anthony Hopkins, in the sequel to Mission Impossible, and I really believe if you do the the, the deep dive even even to to the most recent um, Mission Impossible where he is thoroughly kicking Henry Cavill's ass. You know, Tom likes to best uh, the, 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 the big superstar guy. And, and, and in your mind, I mean, it, 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 this is, I, my buddies have known that I have shared this with them for 20 years and it was never put more succinctly than in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when the Al Pacino character is explaining to Rick Dalton that once you go into these TV roles and you keep getting put down and put down and put down, the audience sees you as the loser, and eventually you're just the guy that takes the hit and hits the mat. You're the you're the phone in bad guy of the week, and 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 that is some great advice. And what I'm telling you is Tom Cruise was positioning himself in every movie in the minds of movie moviegoers that I took on Jack Nichols and I took on John Voight. I took on Gene Hackman, and I have you know, busted them wide open. So, so this is, um, uh, you know, uh, with this in mind, I am obsessed with the idea that Sean Connery will be our villain in the Mark and, and be our immortal villain even. And, uh, and, and, and would have been easily the most dastardly role of someone like a Sean Connery, uh, ever. And it's important to have a voice because when I wrote the screenplay, which we're coming up on, I had Sean Connery's voice in my head the entire time because I had had him in my head when we were pitching. But regardless, you know, this, this, these drafts by Nick Sagan and by William Wisher um, go astray 
and uh, the, the the movie loses, I think, appeal, and and now Tom has made Mission Impossible, and and that movie has come out and been phenomenal, and Tom was fantastic to me. He asked me, he actually told Marvel, Paramount and Marvel had a production deal that ran for about two years. It, 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 it involved Star Trek comics and Mission Impossible comics, and for the Mission Impossible movie tie-in comic, Todd and uh, Tom insisted that I do the cover to the Mission Impossible tie-in, which I've always been so proud to have done. I get a big kick out of it. Um, Tom has the original art to that. I, I, I am a huge Tom Cruise fan, uh, regardless of some of the decisions that I didn't disagree with. You're not going to agree with everything. Huge fan, still am. And by the summer of 1997, they had decided that given that their drafts by Nick Sagan and William Wisher, drafts that, again, they were very... Um, they were very instrumental in crafting with them, having them implement the, the stories that they wanted. Um, one draft I was not able to read. I read a William Wisher draft. I never read the follow-up, and I was not allowed. They, they, they told me they did not want me to read Nick Sagan's draft. Now, Nick and I went out to lunch per Paramount's direction and, and Tom's direction a couple times. Nick's super talented, really great guy. I wish I could tell you uh, that I had read his screenplay, but I did not. And uh, And so anyway... You know, the, the the show must go on, and I get a call from CAA representing Tom's interests in his production company. They still represent me, but obviously Tom is the monster mega pillar that the whole agency is based on, uh, uh, never more so than in 1997. And they say, Tom and Paula want to explore doing uh, the mark as a TV show. And would you be interested in going down that road? That's They, they want to tell you right up front, that's what they want to do with this if you will allow them a third option. And I said, you know, I remember I was in my Century Studios, Century City uh, offices uh, where, where Awesome Comics was located. And I just said, you know what? I, I'm not going to, I'm going to decline the third option. The rights are going to revert completely back to me. And I am going to write uh, a screenplay. I have, re- I have read at least one underwhelming screenplay that this is based on. And I know that I can do better than that. And that is what I'm going to do. And they said, fine, Rob, we'll support you. Great. I'll let them know that you are not going to be renewing this and you're going to be moving on. So we were um, severed. Uh, uh, Cruz Wagner, and and that's the name of his production company, Cruz Wagner, and um, Paula, uh, uh, Paula, Tom, Paramount, myself, we parted ways. So that summer, I decided I am going to write the, the Mark screenplay. And... Right around that time, Men in Black is released. The massive, uh, giant, mega successful uh, comedy, sci-fi comedy with um, Will Smith and, and Tommy Lee Jones. And it is monster. And this is the second huge uh, feature film for Will Smith, who had been the Fresh Prince for so many years on television. But he is now delivering monster summer blockbusters. I think both were released on July 4th, which which created this whole uh, Will Smith owns the July 4th holiday. And so uh, CAA then calls me up and says, Rob, Will Smith, I kid you not, was just turned down. This is, I, I, you are not going to believe this. This is exactly, my mouth was on the floor too. Will Smith has just been turned down to be Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And he would like to do a comic book uh, superhero character we thought you guys should meet and it would be a possible vehicle for you guys to pursue given that the mark is now in your possession. So great. I go and meet with uh, Will on a summer evening in his Overbrook offices 
in in uh, in Beverly Hills, and his partner uh, James Lassiter, who has managed him for his entire career, and about six other guys that I don't quite know their names, but I remember there was a really long-haired guy, and there was a uh, there was a long-haired uh, white fella, and uh, and 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 assorted other people who all crammed into a very tiny room, uh, Hollywood in these tiny rooms. But I do well in tiny rooms. I'm I'm good. I love to rise to the occasion. I went in and I just flat out told the story of the mark. Obviously, I'm very well acquainted with it, having lived with it nonstop for three years in development and whether I'm meeting with Tom or flying to meet Tom or meeting with William Musher and then later meeting with Nick Sagan. I am intimately uh, uh, aware of what I believe works for this character and what doesn't. And Will Smith is the sweetest, most generous, most amazing, uh, uh, just, just, human being every that the warmth and the charisma that you see that he gives off is genuine he never made me feel anything but um really amazingly welcome and and encouraged and it was, it was just great because i mean i i was a huge fan huge fan and uh sat down gave him the mark and both he and james Lester in the room they could not contain their excitement they wanted this to happen and uh they said well, what are your plans for this and i said well I'm writing the screenplay right now. And so Will says, uh, I would love to uh, back you. You know, I, I'm totally for you writing a screenplay. So here's, here's at, the, at, at this point, I need to just tell you, if you can just get in the door with your screenplay, the hardest thing that's going to happen is not you writing the screenplay. It's going to be that your words and your screenplay is the one that they shoot the film from. The reason somebody who is as mega successful as a Will Smith at that point in his career was like, yeah, go ahead and write the screenplay. What he basically means is give us the blueprint. We'll make, we'll, we'll, you are basically going to doctor the blueprint. You're the, you're the architect of this blueprint, and we're going to take that. But from there, I'm going to give it to many other architects, and they're going to put blueprints on top of your blueprint. And, and so what I eventually end up making will be five blueprints on top of yours. But if you're the first in the door and that's your screenplay, well, then your blueprint um, has a ton of merit and a ton of uh, authorship in the chain uh, of, of title in regards to, you know, who is the originator of the material and, and how it's treated from that moment on. But the chances that I knew also, I'm, I'm aware at that time, probably three to four different script writers. I had screenplay friends, polishers, um, people who who came in and would polish the screenplay and and maybe maybe got a guy who just does a script doctor. I I, I was the friend. He, he was paid um, literally a million dollars a week in the early 2000s. He script doctored uh, uh, The Grinch, uh, both Charlie's Angels movies, um, and literally was there to punch up jokes maybe across 20-some pages of the screenplay that gave them, you know, uh, better one-liners, better, better, you know, uh, just just more efficient humor or or more witty dialogue. Okay, so so I've been there. I've seen these guys. These guys are my friends. I see they've earned it. Some of these guys have come from really successful uh, TV shows or have written one or two big movies, and now they are professional script doctors. So at that point, I understand what Will's basically saying is, you deliver the blueprint. I'll support it, and let's go try and make a movie out of this. So. Over the course of the next few weeks, because again, this is late summer, um, they are going to set up a series of meetings because Will is going to start his own production company. Overbrook Productions is going to be the name of his production company. He is looking for a home. And I've been to this rodeo before. I was the first purchase for the Cruz Wagner Production Company when they set up shop at Paramount. 
So the mark is once again being used as a tent pole with which to uh, facilitate a giant piece of talents, a giant talents production deal. Um, I am given my marching orders that this everything is going to come together in the last week of October, and they're just waiting for everyone to clear their dates. Everybody who we have to meet with, that the studios that are interested are going to, uh, uh, you know, coordinate, and we're going to do some one shot, and we're going to make this happen, and we are leading up to Halloween, nineteen ninety seven. Now, uh, the Friday before that, because because that's Halloween nineteen ninety seven was on a Saturday, and uh, so so we are going to meet on a Friday night at Warner Brothers with the president of the studio named Lorenzo de Bonaventura and his assistant, Jeff Romanoff. And uh, what I did not know at this point is that Will had turned down a movie called The Matrix. Now, in 1997, no one knew what The Matrix is. The Matrix comes out in March, I believe, April of 1999. And uh, if memory serves, it was a big spring monster hit that, that I think gave laid the runway for the phantom menace to be even more underwhelming with so many people as as it was because the matrix just had the cool factor tied up because it is a perfect awesome amazing film but i would learn about the matrix a little later but mo mostly i was aware of the fact that there was this um attempt to be spider-man and good for will he, he wanted basically he wanted to be peter parker uh and and would have been kind of the precursor to everything that we've enjoyed with Miles Morales way before uh, Miles Morales, because he, you know he used his cachet to try and convince the powers that be that he would be the right Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man and the Mark share some sensibilities. I think that's why Tom and, and Will were both drawn to it. Kind of a fish out of water, not necessarily a bite, but a transference of power that radically changes someone's lives, their responsibilities, and the way they see the world. So I could see the appeal to both guys have, given that they were not um, able to do Spider-Man in the 90s, Tom in 92 and Will in 97. So we are set up to go. We go Friday to Warner Brothers offices, drive on the lot, go to Lorenzo de Bonaventura is the president of Warner Brothers. And uh, I, I now, in hindsight, realized they had no interest in this. It was, it, was, it was cordial. It was the quickest of all our meetings. James Lasseter, Will Smith, and myself uh, went to Lorenzo's giant suite his offices and sat there and we gave the beats of the mark one by one and he and Jeff Robinoff who would later go on and run the studio for almost seven eight years um following Lorenzo uh so I, I mean I've got the studio head and the guy who would inherit the studio both of them that were there and they kept exchanging looks and I'm gonna tell you right now you'll the matrix and the mark also share more than a passing um uh uh, similarities. They are not imitative of, of of each other in any way. They are both building a supreme kind of being. They do theirs through technology in the mark. I do mine through mythology. And ultimately, I, having seen the mark and, and, and going to the premiere of, I mean, seeing the Matrix and going to the premiere of the Matrix with Will on, on, on uh, you know, the, the week before it, it came out and, 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 and watching it at the premiere, I was like, oh my gosh, this story is kind of cool when you put jacks in the back of people's heads and wire them to this internet. Um, the technology angle was really state-of-the-art, super cool. And I was like, wow. But we'll get to that. I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But Warner Brothers, uh, they just didn't seem that they were that interested. It was almost like they just wanted to size up what we had. And, uh, and ultimately, if you had seen Matrix and thought that maybe they were um, the Wachowskis 
or coming to a sort of a creation of a Superman uh, via their own kind of technological um, means. And at the end, Neo is kind of Superman. Well, in the mark, he is kind of Superman Jedi. Uh, so, so I, and, and this you're doing this to the presidents of, of a, a company that, that have Superman. So I'm sure it was one too many Superman, um, you know, ideas on the plate. And, and I, I knew in the room, we, we didn't seal the deal. I, I had done enough of these at the time that I knew that this was almost just a formality. Will, um, they, they, they had some big projects they wanted to do with Will. They're meeting with Will. Um, you, when you enter in with the box office champ of the last two years, you get to, you know, you get the, you get to be part of the, um, the cordial, uh, uh, process. I mean, they're, 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 you, you are greeted with a similar enthusiasm to Will because Will is exonerating you or, or is, is elevating you. Elevating you is the choice of words with his presence and his, his, you know, acknowledgement of you. So it was a, a fun little meeting. It was, it tidied up pretty quickly. Uh, it was clear. It was kind of like a, we'll, we'll call you and let you know, but I, I could sense there wasn't a whole lot of interest. I went home that night preparing myself for the derby that would be the following day, which is Halloween 1997. I'm off to the races. I wake up, I shower, I'm out the door from Orange County. I kiss my wife. I say, I'll be home tonight because I had the itinerary. I had the schedule. We are starting the day off with a 9 a.m. meeting at Steven Spielberg's home in the Palisades. And the hell if I am going to be late. Okay. So I get out of Dodge really early and I, uh, Using my map book, again, there are no automatic cars, no maps, no no Siri to get you there. So I am headed to the Pacific Palisades where we are going to meet with Steven Spielberg at the Steven Spielberg estate. And I pull up, I give my name to the guard, I clear the security uh, you know, protocols, and I am the, 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 the big gate rolls open and, and I behold what I did not expect from driving up the streets of the neighborhood, that there would be this giant estate with all this land and these beautiful mountain-esque vista behind them, all these hills of like Malibu and uh, just just breathtaking. And did I mention the elephant? The elephant that is being led by his handlers across the property. The house is about 200 yards uh, from the, the opening of the gate. So two football fields I drive through up the dirt road, I pass a two really nice guest homes on my way to the um, main the, the main estate, the main the main house, and I park my car. I am like I I okay, I'm here. You know, get ready to go. I I am told to go and knock at the door, which I do. Uh, a a a uh, young person opens the door, welcomes me in. Uh, at the giant grant in, in the giant foyer, the beautiful marble floors, and in this giant, um, uh, just amazing foyer, there's a giant spiral sta- staircase, you know, kind of off center, but uh, past that, and in a, a huge uh, kind of a, a living room, this grand piano. Steven Spielberg is sitting on the bench with a pianist as they are going through a uh a, 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 you know, theme, a score. And, uh, uh, I, I, Steven kind of nods to me. Again, I have met Steven Spielberg and done a number of business deals with him. So I am familiar to him. He kind of motions me, says, I'll just be a moment. And, uh, I, I go sit on a bench to the side and I watch Steven Spielberg work with who was, and I was introduced to James 
Horner as they were going over the score of that next summer, summer of 98's The Mask of Zorro, which Spielberg was a producer on. And I am just like, this is a kick. And uh, when, you know, it was about another three or four minutes and they were going through the score. And then uh, Stephen said, Rob, I'd like you to meet James Horner. We're doing the score for the Zorro film. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy on Saturday morning, he is knocking out the score to Zorro in, in his palatial estate. Of course he is. Again, Steven Spielberg, sweetest, nicest guy. I've told you before, he will strike you as your favorite uncle the minute you shake his hand and exchange with him. He is so kind and generous, and you're like, why is this titan of, of, of talent being kind and generous with me? He's such a kind, such a nice guy. Well, shortly after, uh, the door knocks again, and Will Smith and James Lasseter have arrived, and behind them is a man named Walter Parks, who uh, produced Men in Black and is now currently um, running... Uh, Stephen's production company, and Stephen is the co-owner of DreamWorks. So we are going to pitch to Steven Spielberg as a director, producer, as well as owner of a studio. He is number one on the list. This is day, this is meeting one of our big um, multi-meeting day. And so Stephen says, let's go to the guest house. So we then wander, and, and Will is complimenting him on his palatial estate, and Stephen is explaining to us how, how long he's owned this particular property. And again, it's just a the most beautiful uh, vista uh, estate I have ever visited to in the history of Hollywood thus far. And uh, we, are, we go to this beautiful guest home that I guess is doubling as his workspace and office. There's no one living in it. We uh, take our places on the couches, and they uh, James Lasseter sets the table by saying, this is something we um, really love that Rob's come up with. He's writing the screenplay, and he is going to share the story with you today, and I am prompted, and I give my pitch. I love pitching. I, 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 it, is, it is something that I am so excited to do. I rise to the occasion every time the adrenaline rushes, and I've got Will Smith sitting right next to me, on my left going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 uh-huh, mm-hmm, oh, yeah. He is the perfect cheerleader. If you can pitch a movie with Will Smith sitting right next to you, I highly um, um, recommend it, uh, cheering you on the entire time, at one point clapping and pumping his fist, yeah, at all the right beats. And so I do my pitch, I tell my story, and uh, at the end... Stephen goes, that, that this is phenomenal. This is this is amazing. Uh, he said, well, you know what? I am going to uh, show Rob around the the grounds, and uh, and 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 Walter, you and James and Will can kind of talk over the particulars of what you're looking for in terms of deal and you know how we can come together on this and. So then Stephen uh, prompts me to rise and exit with him, which I do. And now I am walking the estate grounds with Mr. Steven Spielberg. Uh, we walk around the, the, the party that's being um, um, you know presented. Uh, Stephen has a lot of young kids at this point, I know, because at the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie premiere the year prior, I was one or two rows behind his wife and all the kids, Kate Capshaw brought all of the kids in the Spielberg clan. And, uh, and so, so again, I mentioned the elephant, they are preparing for a giant party that day. Um, I didn't get the particulars if it was a Halloween party, a birthday party, but I just go there are handlers with an elephant 
on the Spielberg estate. Very exciting. He then points out to me that the house that we were just in, the guest house that we did the pitch, pitch in, and in his own words, yes, the Clintons always stay in that home whenever they visit us. And then he wanted to stop and point out to me on the adjacent hills uh, above his home, he said, and that's where the snipers position themselves whenever the Clintons come by. And I'm like, well, there's one uh, for the record books. I have just been shown where the snipers, the Secret Service or whatever protection snipers uh, position themselves. Because, of course, Bill Clinton is in his second term as we are pitching the mark. So, And he clearly visits Spielberg frequently or more than just once to have St Stephen sharing these awesome stories with me. So the guest house, the Clintons, the snipers, uh, we walk down by the pool. And then he's like, I think, I think we could probably make our way back. And, you know, he's he's asking me, because um, the last time I saw him was a week before I was getting married, and he wished me well, and he said, hey, have a great... Because he said, what are you doing this summer? And, you know, the previous time, the last time I'd seen him, I said, I'm, I'm getting married in a week. And he was very, very encouraging, and he said, hey, how, how, how are you doing? How's comics? Um, you have any kids on the way? Just very congenial, very lovely man. At, at By now, what is 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning, Halloween 1997. We return back to the guest house. Walter Parks, with his sleek silver hair, uh, has met with James and Will, and and he says, I, th "I think there's a lot, a lot of promise here. Um, let me speak with Stephen, and we'll get back to you. And I know you guys have another appointment." Uh, and 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 Will, uh, you know, shakes Stephen's hand. Stephen is a producer on Men in Black, of course. You know this, so Stephen has already gotten a taste of the amazing success of Will Smith and his um, ridiculous presence and and, the, and and certainly my mind is dancing with all of the possibilities of not only Stephen producing it but possibly directing it now here here's the sidebar I'm going to go back to what I mentioned earlier at no point did I believe Steven Spielberg was going to direct a screenplay by Rob Liefeld he has as Tom does as Will does as you know today's biggest stars do Ryan Reynolds has one has has his favorite screenwriting voices that he wants to see things through their voice hear it through their voice so but, but the idea that he would be jumping onto the project is just fantastic. And so we exit the uh, Spielberg estate after having this wonderful visit upon pitching Stephen and his producing partner. And, and, and uh, I follow Will and James to our next location, which is the president of, D of Disney Productions. And, uh, and the president of Disney Productions is a man known as Joe Roth. He had Caravan Pictures was his production label. Joe Roth has made a gazillion movies. Following his tenure at uh, Disney, he would create his own movie studio called Revolution Studios. I think it was around for four or five years. You saw a lot of movies that came out of Revolution, but he was handsomely compensated to be the big boss uh, from 1994 to 2000 at Disney Pictures. Disney was in a weird way. This is Disney prior to Pirates of the Caribbean, okay? Um, but Pixar was doing huge hits. With, with with Joe Roth at Disney and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer uh, had had brought his incredible uh, uh, action label uh, you know Bruckheimer films to, to Disney through Touchstone which had given us you know um, so many of the great Nick Cage movies that we were enjoying during that period so so Disney was not quite it wasn't the juggernaut that it was today obviously saw the theme parks and all the Disney uh, Mickey all of that that powerful association, but nowhere near the we bought Marvel, we bought Star Wars era that they would you know enter into in 2010. But we go to Brentwood, 
Next stop, Brentwood. And we go to the lovely home of Mr. Joe Roth, who is coming in from a soccer game with his uh, daughter. And we sit down in his living room. He is in his white sweatsuit, uh, sweatshirt and white shorts and, and, uh, and sneakers and offers us all uh, a drink and we all sit down and I then launch once again into another pitch of the mark for the head of Disney Studios. And Will does his uh, cheering and yeah, oh yeah, uh -huh. oh yeah, great, oh man, the, the fist pumps, all of it. We put on a show for Mr. Joe Roth. He's a cool customer. He expresses great enthusiasm. Um, is going to talk it over with his team, which is always kind of uh, code for I'm not there yet. I'm not sure that I can get there. Maybe someone else can help me get there. But um, we have a, a, a great exchange. Uh, you know, he and Will talked kids and sports. I am no, not a father at this time. Again, I've only been married about two years. But uh, after the pleasantries, we are going to a lunch because Will is being interviewed by Rolling Stone. And uh, we are going to have uh, uh, dinner, uh, lunch in, uh, in, in Westwood. And we go to Westwood and go to the restaurant there. And I am sitting at the edge of the table uh, in, in a nook uh, uh, as, as Rolling Stone interviews Will Smith on all of his success and his future projects. And that goes for about 90 minutes, at which point we are then going to go to the home in Malibu of Bill Mechanic, who was the president of the movie division at 20th Century Fox in 1997. So following the Rolling Stone lunch, we head on to PCH and we drive down to the beach house of Mr. Bill Mechanic. He meets us, greets us by this time, as you all know, um, if you live here in Southern California or hear about it, um, sometimes it can be 90 degrees on Halloween in Southern California. The, the Santa Ana winds, the dry weather, uh, and this was a day exactly like this. This was a very warm, warm afternoon by now. It is probably 2.30 when we arrive at Bill Mechanic's house. So again, we've been to Warner Brothers on Friday night. We've been to Spielberg's Saturday morning. We went to Disney on, on you know, before lunch, the Rolling Stone interview, and now on to 20th Century Fox. We enter, and Bill Mechanic is... Uh, he, he, he doesn't have the polish of a Joe Roth uh, who's tall and sleek. He doesn't have, uh, obviously, the pedigree and the polish of a Steven Spielberg. He's kind of a grumpity, misfitty. If, if, if I, I'm going to tell you, Bill Mechanic um, looks exactly like, like separated at birth Stan Van Gundy, uh, who has you know coached uh, the Orlando Magic, among others, and, and is an NBA commentator. Um, but Stan Van Gundy and Bill Mechanic... Uh, Stan Van Gundy of the NBA, uh, it, 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 they're they're separated at birth. They're, they're the same guy. They look exactly the same. They kind of have the same mannerisms. So, for all purposes, for all intent and purposes, Stan Van Gundy is welcoming us into his home. Uh, it's hot. Uh, it's like Bill McCann just got there. He hadn't turned on the air conditioning and a bit cluttered. And he suggests that we go outside and we do the pitch on the uh, deck that overlooks the ocean. I mean, we are really on the sand. The, the, the Pacific Ocean is, is, is in front of us. This is a really nice piece of property. And uh, he positions himself under the shade of the umbrella 
and make sure that there's enough shade to catch Will and James. I am catching the afternoon sun, which is burning my face off. The entirety of my pitch, which I think is funny. I go, okay, of these guys, I am the least of them in Hollywood, you know, uh, 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 standpoint. You got the president of the studio. He's not going to get the sun on him. And Will and James, they're not going to get the sun on them. So with what was left of the space that we had, I now, dripping in sweat, uh, uh, go into my pitch of the mark. But before I do, Bill Mechanic um, is very nervous he has come from a screening of the whatever we call the Winona Ryder um, uh, Alien movie. Is that Alien Four? Uh, the Ron Perlman Winona Ryder movie. He had just they had just had a screening the night before. He was very nervous about it. It was coming out in a few weeks, and so he was telling us that 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 hadn't gone as well as they wanted. And then he launched into a giant diatribe. And this is funny, and this is why I'm bringing this up because you got to remember this is how the town, the town being Hollywood. Uh, it's an easy way to just kind of describe Hollywood. The town uh, saw this um, movie that was about to be released that I'm going to mention uh, that you'll all, uh, if you're all aware of, I, I was telling my friends that almost the entire year between summer and and, and Christmas of 1997, because the movie got moved, uh, Daily Variety had a, had a daily chart. I, I believe it was on their cover. They had a circle of a, an iceberg and, 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 and the boat, uh, was going towards the iceberg and every day they would inch it closer to its release because the buzz on James Cameron's Titanic was terrible. Everybody thought he had gone over budget. He was in over his head. They had moved the movie because it wasn't finished to Christmas. And this movie was going to be a spectacular, colossal $200 million, just uh, and, and, and honestly, $200 million in 1997 is like a billion dollars today. It was so much money. I think one of the most expensive movies they'd ever concocted. And Fox was the co-financier on the movie. And th- he said, oh, and then we got Titanic. We, Oh, Titanic is such a mess. Oh, we're, we're just, I'm just trying to get through this year and put it behind us because, you know, the, the Titanic's just, it's just, it's just consumed everything. And, and we're, we're, we're ready for the hit, you know, and he didn't mean hit movie. He meant the hit they were going to take. When the movie doesn't perform, and he's like, "But uh, yeah, he was just really down because the uh, the alien uh, uh, screening that they take the scores from. I've been at those with Deadpool. I know what those are like. Um, I've been on the good end of it, fortunately. So I I I, I had a couple director buddies. I, I had been at their very badly scored screenings in the '90s. So I knew when mechanics said the scores were low on a bit on on Aliens Four or whatever Alien it was with Winona Ryder and and Ron Perlman." He was definitely uh, not in the best frame of mind and consumed with the incoming uh, collapse of this movie that the entire industry was mocking. And trust me, you can't throw a rock in Hollywood. If anyone was there at the time, everyone knew. Everyone was convinced Titanic was going to be the biggest flop of all time. Three hours over budget, six months late. Nobody believed in it. It would. Uh, that's why James Cameron threw that Oscar in the air and said, I'm king of the world. He was talking to every... Uh, one of his peers who had openly rooted against him or predicted his demise. Uh, this guy, I don't ever bet against James Cameron is kind of the sidebar here. But so prior to me pitching, Bill Mechanic is just giving him his, his woes. He was very neurotic, um, very, 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 the, the vibes were awful. It was awful. I think even Will was like, man, how am I going to, how am I going to cheer through this, man? There's a dark cloud over this guy's head. I launch into the mark. I am as enthusiastic as I possibly can. I got a fresh meal from our lunch at, 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 at in in Westwood, and uh, I I know this is the last one of the day. I give it my best, and Bill Mechanic gives me the classic dick eye, 
uh, just not not into it. Basically, when it's on, done, goes off oh, to see what, we, what else we have. Uh, if we have anything similar to this, and uh, well, thanks guys, thanks for that, that afternoon. I'll let you go. I know, I know, I know you 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 have uh, Halloween with your kids, uh, Will. So uh, it's around four o'clock. Walked out. James Lasser even said, "Yeah, I'm not sure that one's so good." And I said, "Guys, thanks for making this happen today. Thank you. This was a, a, a great time. I got to sell my movie." On, uh, on on three different times throughout the course of a single day to three heads of three different studios. And the night before, that, that's four. I don't remember what was going on with Universal or Sony, but the Universal thing is interesting because I'll just, you know, yeah, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I go home. I tell my wife about the entire day. Um, you know, we're in our mid-20s. Uh, I, I don't get home till like six. Uh, I just, we weren't really into the Halloween thing. I was so pumped on adrenaline from all of the different places I'd visited and all of the different stories I had to tell. So I, I regaled her with my Spielberg experience, with my, uh, with my Joe Roth experience and with my Bill Mechanic experience. And I was exhausted. And then on Monday, uh, we got the, the results, you know, Fox was the first to say, we're not interested in this movie. Uh, it's not something we can afford at this time. We, we don't, we're not interested. Okay, fine. Pass. Warner Brothers passed. DreamWorks, very interested, wanted to put together a financial package that made sense. Uh, Disney was thinking about it, but the one place that we didn't go that was coming in the strongest that said that they would beat all offers or maybe team up with one of the other offers was Universal, which we didn't meet anybody at Universal. We didn't go to Universal. There was nobody that, that we met with at Universal. And long story short, within about a week's time, Couple days later, Universal had um, emerged as the giant uh, contender. They were going to take the mark, and so Will had asked me, "What do you want for your screenplay?" And I said, "I want a million dollars. I believe this, based on all my experience. I believe I have de delivered a giant, giant uh, summer blockbuster. I, I, I believed in this movie." Now here's the deal: um, there's a draft that leaked online. My very, very first draft. And it has Houdini in it at the beginning. If you have ever read The Mark and it has Houdini in it, that was a first draft and not the draft, the final draft that was submitted. The final draft that was submitted begins with the backdrop of the Nazi cleansing of the ghetto uh, during World War II. And uh, there is a ceremony uh, with a Jewish family as a dying old man uh, passes along the mark to a very young boy. Uh, and there's the reading of a Torah. There, there, there is a, there, there is, it's a very solemn ceremony that is happening as the Nazi soldiers are coming up the stairs, kicking in the doors, and the ghetto is being cleansed. Um, and yeah, you try and, and, and pitch that to Steven Spielberg, knowing that he made this, uh, that did, you know, his masterful retelling of the entire ghetto uh, cleansing in, in Schindler's List. Oh, th th that was probably the most nervous I was that entire day. But at that point, then the boy is spirited away and that boy grows up and becomes an older man and that man is is who passes the mark to Will Smith in 1997. Um, and, and, and that is just a piece of the legacy. But my final screenplay that I submitted, and it was with Will's input, at, at each point I would write a draft the Houdini draft was sent directly to Will's production company. So when people say that they've got that, and that's that draft, this underscores what I'm going to get to, my point that anything that gets out there 
in Hollywood that has a piece of talent around it finds its way into other hands and other uh, copy machines nowadays, other email sends. There was no email at this time. It was fax machines. It was FedEx deliveries. But Will and I had huddled. I had been to Will's house in Calabasas several times to work on the screenplay, to reformat it, to, uh, to, to, to implement. One of the first things Will said to me that Tom Cruise did not, just interesting, he said, I want to know everyone who had the mark throughout the history of time, what they did with it, how long the period was. So I had a chart. I had concocted all of these different details. He wanted the history. I gave him the history. So the version that was ultimately the last version I worked on, the one that was sold, uh, the Houdini was removed. It was too boring. It was the cleansing of the ghetto, pulse pounding as 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 the 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 Torah is being read. Uh, uh, the, 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 the ceremony takes place and the old man at the moment of his death on his deathbed gives this mark to this young boy. So this, and, 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 and literally upon driving away, being spirited away, uh, uh, from the ghetto because the, the, this young boy has to live. He, uh, they are stopped at a Nazi, Nazi checkpoint. And with this amazing, uh, uh, kind of, exhibition of his power, he wipes out the Nazis and completely decimates uh, a Nazi encampment and, uh, and, and, and part of the ghetto. And that's key to why I'm telling you this, because this story gets even funner uh, a little ways down. But uh, that's the final draft that I handed in. But all too often I see people that go, oh, I got this draft online and it's the Houdini version. The Houdini version is the earliest, 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 earliest version that was intended only for the people at Overbrook. And the fact that it lives online is interesting to me, but it underscores a point that I'm about to make very shortly. So uh, now that we've sold it to Universal, because Will said, what do you want? And Universal gave me $1,100,000 to seal the deal the million-dollar screenplay they gave uh, Will a giant um, production deal for several years. Super duper awesome offices. He threw a holiday party there the next year. The Overbrook offices were magnificent. They were awesome, um, right there on the Universal Studios lot. Um, and 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 we were off to the races. Um, I was called up by CAA to go out for drinks uh, about uh, February of of '98. Because the holidays came shortly after Hollywood shuts down, doesn't re really reopen till late January, and uh, the reason we were having drinks, and my agents uh, brought me up to 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 the uh, to the agency, and we went across the street to the I think the Beverly Hills Hotel, which is where oftentimes they did dinners and drinks and meetings, and we all had a round of drinks and saluted the fact that Steven Spielberg was signing on to co-produce and direct. The mark, and I'm like, am I living a dream? I am living the flipping dream. There was some DreamWorks component. They were going to come in with a Universal co-finance it, and Will, with all his charisma, and given the screenplay and 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 whatever discussions he had had to Stephen that I was not privy with, Stephen was signing on the dotted line for CAA. This meant their biggest directing talent, their biggest acting talent of that period, and and certainly Will would go on for a decade to be exactly that. Um, that they were all combining forces. And, and with that, so, so it was uh, CAA screenwriting, comic book creator talent, uh, big movie star talent, and uh, giant biggest director of all time uh, in Hollywood talent. So we go, we are excited. I am supposed to go and meet with Will and uh, James the next day. So I am up having celebratory drinks with the agents 
on a Wednesday night, and I am going on Thursday to meet with Will. I arrive exact a few minutes early, only to see Will walking out looking very flustered. And he's like, hey, 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 man, how's it going? Hey, uh, James will catch you up, man. Uh, we'll talk soon. And the mood was different. And I walked in, and I sat down, and James said, here's the deal. I know that the CAA guys told you about the Spielberg thing last night, but uh, that all fell apart today. And Steven Spielberg is no longer going to be um, joining us on the mark. And, uh, and uh, you know, we just couldn't come to the, the financial deals. Uh, you know, it, it really just came down to, to, to profit sharing and points and stuff that's all over my head, frankly. I, my eyes just glazed over. I'm getting the news now a few hours later that what I celebrated the night before is no longer on the table. Steven Spielberg has left the project due to business components difficulties, uh, disagreements, contractual, whatever's. So then James says, but he puts his hand on my leg, but I've got great news. We've got Dean and Roland coming on board and they're going to, they're going to do another movie with Will. We've got the independence day team. And I'm like, okay, um, not Steven Spielberg, um, on, on, on any day, but, uh, but big, big deal. Okay. Independent. You can, you can spin that independence day guys. Okay. Dean Devlin produced it. And uh, Roland Emmerich, director, and uh, they had just been shooting uh, Godzilla. And so the announcement comes out that the Dean, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich are coming on board the Mark. And the next thing I know, I am at the premiere of Godzilla. And my wife and I, we go spend the weekend in New York. We celebrate the Godzilla opening. It was a very, they had, they had it at Madison Square Garden. It was huge. It was fun. And I go up and I shake Dean's hand and I congratulate him. I'm so excited to work with him. And Dean leans into me and says, you know, we're not going to use any of your stuff. And, and to be honest, um, we only did this as kind of a favor to Will. So you just know, should just know that going forward. That loud after party music is blaring. And my wife is standing right next to me as Dean Devlin informs me that his uh, involvement in the mark is a favor to Mr. Will Smith. And, uh, and, and I knew at that point that the mark was going to be sidelined for quite some time. Except they did um, get the X Files guys, Morgan. I know Glenn Morgan. Forgive me, I didn't. I didn't research prior to popping on the pod. But um, Morgan and Wong, I think is their name. Morgan and Wong did do a draft, and I know that Overbrook uh, would not let me read it. They didn't like it. They said I would be infinitely disappointed in it. And and and. But then they um, called me up and said, "What if we started thinking about a different direction for the movie?" Well. I didn't really know what was going on until I attended the premiere with Will. Now, Steve Scrose, who drew Youngblood for me and has done tons of Marvel comics and was sidelined for a year, not really sidelined, but took off to do storyboards for Matrix and then eventually after the success of the Matrix, the sequels. He always joked with me. He's like, I saw you walking by me at the premiere, like going down 10 rows closer than I was. I worked on the film and you're sitting with with like Will Smith in the in the in the in the 12th row and I'm like oh that's so funny but it was fun it was fun watching the matrix to Will Smith right up to the point where I realized holy crap I'm I'm not sure how we can escape this the mark and the matrix are very much the same movie except except as I told you one achieves through mythology what the other achieves through technology and I'm not you know dumb the technology angle was a blast and kind of trumped the moment I I felt like it, it I'm like wow so then we uh huddled post matrix opening to think about what we could do and the decision was to set the mark during world war ii to uh have a young uh uh a young 
corporal uh, in, 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 in the army uh, uh, received the mark and we were off to the races. Brand new adventure, kind of same stakes and consequences, except it takes place in 1942. Okay, all well and good. Uh, 1999 turns into the summer of 2000 and the X-Men comes out in the summer of 2000. Is it, and as many of you know, uh, there is an, the opening of the movie uh, takes place with Magneto being pulled away from his parents in the ghetto and with the Nazis and he exhibits his powers and, and brings down the fence uh, and kills the Nazis in this, you know, horrific display of his mutant magnetic powers. So I get a call. Uh, a few weeks after X-Men opens, and James Laster wants me to come up to talk to me at the Universal Studios. I do so. I go up. I meet with him. He um, is kind of hot under the collar and says to me, did you see the X-Men? And he, I said, yeah. Now, rem- remember, I sold uh, my screenplay in 1997, the, the opening of The Cleansing of the Ghetto. And uh, and, and I, this, I have the Daily Varieties and The Hollywood Reporter. It was front page, million dollar sale, comic book creator, Rob Liefeld hits the mark. Will Smith hits the mark. All these hits the mark. Um, it was a big deal. Will was the biggest star in Hollywood. He had just thrown his weight behind a young screenwriter, comic book creator. And that weight that Will gave the project is what got it the big dollars. I don't, I mean, if, if I didn't make that clear, and I don't think I'd have, let me make that clear very right right now. It was Will Smith that carried us to uh, to Shangri-La. And, uh, and, you know, without his huge star power, um, I'm, you know, I don't know what happens. I had already landed Tom Cruise and been in business with him for three years, but now um, I had really pivoted to this amazing, you know, once in a generation, mega watt charismatic uh, movie star that the world adored, but with good reason. I mean, Will is ridiculously talented and hardworking and and just amazing on every level. So, but now James Lasser flat out accuses me of taking what comic book did you take that from? How much of that is in the screenplay? And I said, hey. Here's the deal. The Mark screenplay was front page on every trade uh, magazine for months. Uh, and, 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 and there was updates. And then there was an update when Dean Devlin and, and Roland Emmerich came on board. I mean, this has been out there. The screenplays get passed. Once a screenplay is at an agency, it goes everywhere because people call up and go, hey, I want to read that million dollar screenplay that, that Will Smith attached himself to. Presumably, my screenplay went to hundreds of different locations and was read by all sorts of different assistants. Um... Uh, talent and their assistants and their assistants assistants okay and so you guys know in watching um i was also shocked when i watched uh x-men the original the brian singer one which had like five different drafts okay that that that's very um it's very well reported on that the x-men had five different drafts and i wasn't uh wasn't you know uh feeling any remorse whatsoever because i know that that scene what i'm trying to tell you is that scene in x-men 2000 is not in any comic there is no comic that that happens. Maybe there was. Maybe it was post two thousand, post that movie scene that Marvel implemented it. But nothing prior to that uh, 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 X Men two thousand movie by Brian Singer had depicted the Nazi, the ghetto, the the the, the Jews being let, let led away, and and the destruction with his magnetic powers. It was very reminiscent of what I had written in the 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 Mark. And I can't tell you whether one influenced the other. I know one has the dates, and the dates matter. And 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 having three years lead time, presuming that they, they that they shot that a year prior than two years lead time. Hey, a year, two years, whatever. The mark was there first. The mark was was there much earlier. I never did another version past 1997 of that screenplay. So, 
I, I kind of sensed his disappointment and I said, hey man, I just, I, I really did. I said, I'm going to go home, but you need to ask yourself, how many people saw this movie? How, how many people read this since 1997? And, and it's easier for me to understand that this screenplay was passed around. These ideas were co-opted and eventually found their, their way into other, you know, other ideas. There is a, a movie that is very, very, very much like The Mark uh, that is not The Matrix that I won't go into today. But again, you get you have a screenplay, those ideas that at that time were fresh. I wrote the movie that I wanted to see, a combo movie that did not exist because Hollywood didn't believe in anything beyond Batman. I wrote the movie of my dreams. I assumed it had an unlimited budget. Sean Connery was the voice of my villain. Uh, it's a great journey. I think everybody, they say everybody has one great screenplay in them. The Mark was my one great screenplay. I stand by it. I'm so proud of it. I love it. The fact that it didn't get made doesn't diminish the journey and the fun that I had experiencing it. I don't hold out any hope for it going forward, but it was one. If, if, if listening to this shows you the ways that projects rise, fall, get reignited, die, fall apart. I mean, Dean Devlin, we're just doing this as a favor. At that point, I mean, what I felt was this, that famous, wah, wah, wah. okay? It really felt like right there, and Dean and uh, Roland took it as a safe-facing matter helping out their friend will um in, in 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 replacement of steven spielberg and without their enthusiasm it it kind of fell apart in the years since and i mentioned at the at the top in 2004 i read and will had, I, I knew about it but it made the trades i didn't know it made the trades uh will and james in 2004 wanted to set this up as, a, as an animated series with nickelodeon i signed off i i even got paid for it and uh i never saw uh, it, even, it even has screenwriters and and i'll share the links with you uh, they hired someone to write, I think, a pilot of The Mark. I had become now divested by 11 years in, in The Mark and uh, and and was no, no longer as excited by it. Um, but who knows? Maybe we will see the further adventures of The Mark. It's still a time-tested story. There's enough in it that hasn't been seen that could still be fresh and funny and awesome and, and a, great, uh, a great journey. But I wanted to share this with you guys today because I wanted to show and share with you how a great deal comes together, a great package, something that went from Tom Cruise seamlessly into Will Smith's hands, uh, landed with a giant million dollar payday for my screenplay and tremendous momentum. We almost got Sir Steven Spielberg, uh, landed with a couple of directors who weren't that interested. There are multiple screenplays. I've never, I mean, literally I've asked to read them and like, no, we don't want you to read them. We don't want you to read this, 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 this version is no good and we we don't want to we don't want you to see it and what they're saying is we did not shepherd this correctly and it's going to disappoint you and we would rather have you not see it than experience the full disappointment but uh that halloween 1997 was one of the funnest most exciting days of my entire life um starting off at the spielberg compound was just the perfect way to start the day and i'll never forget the mountains and the hills that steven pointed out where the snipers the presidential snipers reside for anybody who wants to threaten the life of the president while they were staying on that particular property. Again, that's 1997. I'm sure that property has traded hands so many times because you always read about these people selling their their their, their um, multiple properties. So I'm not sure how long that property was even uh, that that Steven Spielberg resided there. But that was the story of the Mark, the million dollar pitch. Me and Will Smith. Uh, you know, maybe someday we'll see it. But like I said, uh, after multiple failed attempts, the, the Morgan and Wong was the last one that I heard about. And then from there on, um, 
I believe, because Universal uh, and, and Overbook moved on from Universal by the mid-2000s, and that's when I think they landed at Paramount, who had Nickelodeon, and that's when those talks came together. So, you guys, thanks for joining me on this journey. Hopefully, uh, there's some stuff to learn there. Never did I believe that someone would be directing every piece of dialogue and, 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 and action that I wrote, but the absolute blueprint was a very strong one, strong enough to nab not one but two giant Hollywood icons in Cruz and Will Smith, but that is a day I will never forget. What a fun journey. Um, I, I, I hope that, that you were at the very least entertained by some of what I had to share today. Thank you, as always, for listening to me on social media. I'm at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I'm at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Please uh, look for me on social media, on Facebook. I'm all over the place. I love talking to you guys. I love your feedback. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for sharing the show with your friends. Thank you for subscribing. Continue to spread the word. Um, you guys, do me the biggest favor. Take care of yourselves and, uh, you know, stay out of trouble. Be safe. And we will talk again real soon. 